That's fiddler Liz Carroll playing with accordionist Billy McComiskey. Welcome to a special St. Patrick's Day edition of Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Today we're discussing and listening to Irish music with some of its best practitioners in America. Fiddlers Liz Carroll and Seamus Connolly, step dancer Kevin Doyle, and accordionist Billy McComiskey. They're acclaimed performers with extraordinary breadth and depth to their music, popular in Ireland as well as America. And all four musicians are recipients of our nation's highest honor for folk and traditional arts, the National Heritage Fellowship. I had the good fortune to speak with all of them in the past few years, and you might have heard the individual podcasts. Well, here are some excerpts from each interview, and it's woven together thematically. So let's begin this tuneful exploration of Irish music by asking the question, what makes Irish music Irish music? Here's Liz Carroll. Well, that's a good question. (laughs) It's a very simple music. I'll say that. Let's say, for example, if you have a core note, amazingly, everything is almost like one note away or two notes away. And that's pretty rare in music. There's no gigantic hops. It is amazing how small the distances are between the notes. Now, with with Scottish music, there's there's much bigger leaps, and you can really tell that that's just a different music. I also kind of say this not to be going on, (laughs) but uh, it can be very fast music, and a lot of times that's what a lot of people are out at the bar and they're just kind of stomping their feet and throwing their beer about. <laughs> and when they're, when they're doing that, but even with that very fast and happy music, if you slow it down, not only is it those small little intervals between notes, but I would say that it, it also has the effect, uh, when you slow the pieces down, of the very sad tunes that, which are, are built to be slow. Now, if th- does that make sense, Joe? I think it does, but you know what? (laughs) Why don't you give us an example? (laughs) Let's see what I could do here. Well, you know, if I play a little bit of a, like a kind of a classic um, Irish air, there's an air that's called uh, the Coolin, and it goes like this. Almost everything that was going on there, you can hear that the little jumps are like little thirds away. People in the music will know thirds, but if you think about it in terms of do, re, mi, and do, mi, so, <laughs> would be like a little triad. So those are like little jumps of two notes apart. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what's going on there. If I play you a happy tune now, <laughs> let's see if I'm going to find a good one. <laughs> uh, let's see. Those notes are pretty close together again, but I'm playing faster, and you could stomp your feet to that, but if I slow that piece down... uh 
seeing Kevin Doyle perform made me realize that step dancing is woven into Irish music itself, often serving as percussion for the music. Yes, I totally agree with that, it, because to me, Irish music is dance music. And, you know, besides the, the beautiful songs and the airs that they play, but any kind of the traditional jigs, reels, and hornpipes, it's dance music. So it's sort of like a natural reaction for people to hear the music, and all of a sudden their foot starts to tap and, and uh, or their hands start clapping a little bit. And so when they see it danced out rhythmically with uh, the feet as percussion, it sort of like completes the whole picture to them. It all totally makes sense then. I really loved it right away. I, I think it was my sense of rhythm that I just felt a natural draw to that, to the music, and I could fit my steps to the timing. A lot of dancers sometimes struggle with the timing with the musicians and the different music that's played. And I always had a gift of being able to accent the rhythms with my feet. So it was oftentimes it was said to me that you really dance right to the music. And so I had a rhythm in me that just seemed to fit with my feet. And whatever I was listening to, I could just impersonate that percussion with my feet. One thing these musicians have in common, they all had parents who played or danced. They grew up with the music. Billy McComiskey, winner of the coveted All-Ireland Championship for Button Accordion, was born and raised in New York City. And what he remembers is the music. It was all about music, but it wasn't just about music. It was about Irish music. My grandmother, Nora Sweeney, was a step dancer, and all her brothers played a little something. Maybe uh, they all had flutes and fiddles, and if they didn't do that, they'd sing and they'd enjoy it. A bit of a jar, as they would say. And my, grand, my grandfather, though, was like a pretty quiet fella, and he loved to dance. He was a step dancer, and he loved to play the fiddle. It was very, very good. My mother, she was Mae McConaughey, she was an Irish step dancer, and her two brothers, Matt, played the accordion, and Andy was a, a flute player. And they all had, everybody had regular jobs, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. and, and managed just living there in Brooklyn. And my, my father came out... Oh, I guess maybe 1948, right around the time this accordion was built. The first time I remember doing a gig was at my uncle's house up in the Catskills. And he'd have these house parties in his boarding house. He didn't charge anybody to stay there. But if you could sing or dance or you're a bit of fun and you enjoyed it, he'd just give you a room and then everybody would go and there'd be a bit of a party. And, and, he, and so he was playing. I was like five or six. And he said, do you, want to, do you want to help me with this? I said, sure, sure. And so he handed me two spoons, and I just rattled away behind him on the table with the two spoons. And I just absolutely loved it. By his mid-20s, Seamus Connolly had won the Irish National Fiddle Championship ten times, a feat that's still unequaled. He grew up in a home where music was central. Both my parents played, my mother played. She used to scrape a few tunes on the fiddle, but she played piano and played the accordion. My father played the flute and whistle, and he was a Shannos old-style dancer. Different in that he made his own steps up, just tapped out his own dancing. He was a great, great dancer, you know. So we had music in, in our home pretty much all the nights of the winter anyway, when our homework was done. Another brother who played piano, my younger brother, he plays the accordion. He won 
the national championship a few times too on the accordion. And now he makes accordions. Yeah, so we had music in our home all the time. Now, how did you become a fiddle player? Why the fiddle? My uncle played the fiddle. And in 1954, there was a big series of emigration again to America this time. And my uncle left for America, he and his family, for New York. They had, at that time, what they called an American wake, a going-away party. Strange kind of a title, an American wake. But um, it was the notion at the time that people who left for America, that, that they'd never be seen again. It was almost like a death in the family. So they had this big party. There was all the local musicians. My uncle was playing the fiddle, and then during the evening he put the fiddle on the chair and was down talking to people. I went up and sat in the chair and picked up the fiddle and pretended to play. And in fact, some people thought I was playing. <laughs> That'll tell you what they thought about music or knew about music, you know. <laughs> but I went home then and I said to my parents, I'd love to get a fiddle to try it out. So my father found me a fiddle. <clears throat> so somebody put strings on it and they didn't know how to tune it up or anything. So I tuned it up as what I thought it should be tuned. I tuned it in fourths. Do, mi, so, do. And that would be different from tuning in fifths. So I was playing away for about maybe six months. And I'd play and getting all the songs out of the tune. But I didn't use my little finger. I'd slide my third finger up, which was strange. So anyway, I was playing for six months and the tunes were coming out. My uncle was the local barber. And he was cutting a man's hair one day and he, he didn't know who the person was. So my uncle asked him, where, where do you live? He said, I just moved to the town. He said, I played the fiddle. Oh, my, my nephew plays the fiddle. And the guy said, I'd love to hear him. So I went to meet him, and I played for the man. And he's looking at me, fascinated. And then he said, well, give me the fiddle. And he went to go play, and he couldn't play. So he tuned it in the, I suppose you would call it, international standard tuning. And then he played away. He was a great player. And then he gave it back to me, and I couldn't play anymore. So... I went home, my mother was in bed, and I went up to say goodnight to her. She says, how did you make out with the man, you know? I said, I, I was doing it wrong. I have to start all over again. Ah, she said, don't listen to him, you know. She said, you're doing fine. <laughs> There's so, a mother for you. Yeah, yeah, don't listen to him, she says, you know. Liz Carroll has been recognized as one of the great Irish fiddle players since she won the All-Ireland Senior Championship at the age of 18. She grew up in Chicago, where Irish music ran deep on both sides of her family. My father was an accordion player. Uh, my mom's father was a fiddle player. We heard not a lot of music outside of Irish music, but, but I really was attracted to it, and I always really liked it. I just have my, my brother Tom and myself, we just have the two of us in our family, and he, he avoided that Irish music like the plague. <laughs> it, was not, it was not particularly his thing at all. So he was the guy that would be buying all the rock records and, and following that. He's, he's come around since, but 
I wasn't particularly attracted to the any to the rock or any of the things that were going on. I really liked hanging out with these mostly older people playing their flutes and tin whistles and pipes and fiddles. Uh, who knows how you how you come to like that? It just, I just feel like it was just uh, born in me to to enjoy it and to like it. Kevin Doyle was dancing from an early age, winning several competitions throughout New England. He was raised with a tradition of step dancing that went back two generations on his mother's side. Well, I first started learning mob at the age of eight years old from my mother, who came from Castle Ray, County of Wisconsin, an island in the 1930s. And she was a, a wonderful step dancer that she had learned from her mother, and she brought her folk art to this country. So it was sort of like a natural thing for me after seeing my mom dance so, at so many occasions and, and parties, and it was something that I wanted to do as well as part of our community and part of our heritage. And you danced with your sister, Maureen, correct? Yes, Maureen was six years old, and um, we would have to do homework, and then we would do a little bit of rehearsing of the steps that we had learned, and my mom would keep uh, them fresh in our minds, so her way of doing that was every morning before we went off to school with St. Matthew's School with our uniforms on, Maureen and I would be in front of the kitchen sink, and my mom would be lilting uh, McLeod's reel for us. Lilting was a form of mouth music that they used oftentimes in Ireland when there was no instruments in the house or no musicians. And she would lilt um, a cloud's reel, which is something like dum diddly diddly di diddly lum diddly diddly di diddly lum diddly diddly di diddly diary up up diddly lum, and we would do the beginning steps of the reels, the sevens and the threes, and then off we'd go. She'd send us off to school, and oftentimes she'd give me a shot of this geritol stuff to think that maybe I would have a growth spurt on the way, but the dancing worked out a lot better than that. While we generally refer to Irish music, it's important to remember that it's not one sound. It contains many, many different styles of playing. Billy McComiskey, for example, he goes for the East Galway style. First, here's Billy giving us its history, and then a demonstration. As it turns out, as they look back on it now, it's be, it's regarded in this broader perspective now. So it's kind of now called this Slevakti style. Because there was two guys. There was Joe Cooley from Galway, and this other guy, Paddy O'Brien, from Tipperary. And they both played in this incredibly good band at different times, the Tullochaley Band. It was Joe Cooley that brought Irish traditional music to the public's eye here in America. The, the amazing thing that happened around 1950 is these guys figured out how to play this old music from the 1600s, 1700s, it really goes back. Turlock O'Carolan, the harper, the great harper and composer, people started writing his music down in the early 1700s. Ireland, England, Scotland, and Wales, they refer to it. It was just raging with music. It's what the Celts did. It's what they loved to do. It's how they expressed themselves socially. East Galway music in general is kind of long and, you know, it has... If that makes any sense, you'd be, it'd be, there'd be maybe flat sevens mixed in with, you know, regular sevens, and a triplet would become 
a roll, instead of three notes, it would be five. And how does this all fit together? How can you take this little instrument and make it sound compatible with these instruments from 200 years ago? Here's Kevin Doyle explaining the musical differences between reels, jigs, and hornpipes. What's different about each piece is the timing. The jigs are always in the 6-8 uh, the rhythm. Reels would be 4-4 four, four times, which is a pretty fast 4-4 four, four time. And hornpipes would be 4-4, four, four, but they'd be very, very... Uh, the steps would be choreographed very much to the music. So you would hear the hornpipe stepped uh, right along with the music, and it would almost dictate what you would be dancing. Jigs being very quick and lively. And reels, of course, they were done with uh, soft shoes and hard shoes. They're all unique in their own way. But what my old style is about is the very old, traditional, close-to-the-ground rhythms where you do a lot of work very close to the ground. And as with the dance masters of the old days, it wasn't common to show the sole of your feet. You would actually get mocked off in competitions for that back in Ireland. Liz Carroll finds her inspiration from County Kerry. I think if there's a particular thing, uh, if I can say in, in, in my playing, well, there's a kind of music that's called, well, it's Kerry music from County Kerry, and they play a lot of polkas there. And one move that they kind of do with their playing is this. Let's, let's say um, if I was going to play these four notes. Okay, so let's say mm -hmm. that's a melody. If it was a polka, it might be going... But they might put a little bit more of an emphasis into the second note by kind of dipping your bow onto the strings. In other words, you're pressing harder and you're moving so that you start to get a sound that goes like, like this. Does that make sense? Yes. Because it's carry music, funny enough, these polkas, a lot of the bowing will go from the beat to the offbeat, like if you're going to do two notes on a bow. And funny enough, American music also kind of goes from the beat to the offbeat, so that you're kind of going, you're tying these two notes together. But in regular real playing, you wouldn't really tie those first two and the third and fourth note together. Instead, you would have tied the second and the third note together. And then that sounds like this. So that's, that's a different animal. So you don't have to do those stresses, but I've really started really kind of pushing those stresses. So I think that's part of my style, if you want to hear a little bit of, of that in a tune. And actually, I would love to hear some of that in a tune right now. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I'll play it the uh, first part that, that I don't do it, and then I'll play the first part again, and then I will do it. And then okay. you can see what you think of that. Uh,
and then Joe, okay. I can mix them up so then they can be like play off of each other. So would you like to hear the whole tune? Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> okay. That's beautiful. <laughs> it's just a, a great old, great old trad tune. These days, it's difficult to talk about Irish music without talking about sessions. Think of them as Irish musicians coming together to jam. Billy McComiskey. So a session would be, these people were like enormously talented, and it's an oral tradition, so they didn't know how to read music, they didn't know much about music theory. And then Jesus, uh, Paddy, no, how, how do you have to, how do you turn the second part of that tune? Turn would be, how's the second part of the tune go? And a fiddle player and a flute player would sit, and they'd be negotiating a little tune. And I remember, like it was yesterday, sitting with Sean McGlenn, and we were trying to figure out how to play this Martin Wynn fiddle tune. And in the course of two bars, it covered two and a half octaves. It really took a long range on it. And we were trying to figure out how to finger this tune. It's kind of like how a pianist would do, and myself and Sean McGlenn. And when we finally got it, Sean says to me, he says, there's the, there's the difference right now. He says, they're all down in the bar singing and dancing and having a great time. And here we are, sitting in the kitchen, worried about one note. <laughs> the way they would, you know, discuss the music. And our, I will show, no, you have that all wrong. And, and so they'd meet these guys, and, and next thing, uh, we, well, we should try, we'll have a session. I think I think he's that, he's, he do Athlon. Ah, uh, well, then, Jesus, we're going to have, and you'd have to, you'd have to sit down and try to find out what you have in common, because it's just very, very important. And to keep yourself calm, you'd have a little something to drink, and then the next thing it would be the next day. But That's it, what a session is. <laughs> Liz Carroll. It's where you just sit down with other musicians, and there's no show, there's no particular audience. You're just with other musicians, and you're sitting down, and you're playing from a repertoire of, of, of all kinds of tunes that you found interesting, both growing up and along the way, something that attracted you off of whatever, the latest album of this person. It's a great spot to just kind of see what's going on. It probably doesn't even look that inviting <laughs> if you walk into <laughs> a pub, let's say, and there is a session that night. 
and it can be a lot of people playing instruments, but basically they turn to each other in a circle. And if you're not playing, you're not really in that circle. You're, you're kind of outside of it. So you might, you might be sitting at another table and not in the thick of that, of that meeting. Yet for people that really love the music, they say this is, this is the bee's knees. This is the best thing. But Seamus Connolly remembers that in the Ireland of his youth, musicians didn't meet to play sessions at the pubs. Sessions weren't the thing. The only sessions that would be would be at the Fla Kjolls. Fla being festival, Kjoll being music. That was the only time that we would kind of get to play. Mo- music was mostly in the homes at the time. It wasn't until the last 30 or 35 years that you have sessions and pubs and everything. I didn't go to a pub to play growing up. We went to people's homes. And the sessions were different then. Sometimes musicians would come to your house. They wouldn't even take out the instruments. We'd sit and talk, maybe all night, and talk about ways of doing things. Or somebody would say, oh yeah, what's that tune? And they might take out his accordion or fiddle. And, and then somebody would say, well, I have a different version of that. I heard that. So that's how we played our music. It wasn't going out to the pubs. It was people coming to the homes. Seamus Connolly emigrated to the United States in the 1970s, but he still returns to Ireland. And Billy, Kevin, and Liz make regular trips there. I love going to Ireland. It's still the place to be inspired. You go there, and it's, it's in everybody's blood, really. And you sit in there among them playing, and, you know, it's a workout. <laughs> it, it's a, it keeps you honest. You learn a lot. It's a really high level. And I think that all of us, American-born, would really give kudos to Ireland to, to be the place that we just absolutely love to go, and it refreshes us and tells us why we're doing it. And all four musicians are deeply committed to keeping the tradition of Irish music alive and vibrant. Accordionist and 2016 National Heritage Fellow, Billy McComiskey. Irish music. It's been around a really long time, and it's a labor of love that people have been trying to keep. They've been trying to keep this art intact for many centuries, and it's an awful lot of fun doing that. It's just a tremendous amount of fun. And down in Washington, there are all these young players. The funny thing about down here, I guess it's because of all this interest in folklore and this whole scholarly way of approaching Irish music, it's the more progressive music scene in this area. What, what goes on in the mid-Atlantic area here is kind of Irish music at a very high standard. It's a lovely social thing. Irish step dancer and 2014 National Heritage Fellow, Kevin Doyle. It's been incredible. Everybody wants to see the step dance as far as how it's crossed over into so many different backgrounds. I've worked with some great dancers, and some of the best have been Asian dancers. And last year in County Clare in in Ireland, there was eight Japanese dancers in my class. And they were, one was a lawyer, one was a doctor, and they just infatuated with the form of dance. And that goes right across the board with all these sorts of nationalities, how just rejuvenated so much interest in the dance. Fiddler and 2013 National Heritage Fellow Seamus Connolly. I'm very pleased with listening to some of the young musicians now playing and recording. We had a concert here a few weeks ago, two young Irish musicians, and it was some of the nicest music I've ever heard. They were technically great, played in a great style, just a joy to hear them. So I'm, I'm very hopeful that, that the tradition carries on.
Fiddler, and 1994 National Heritage Fellow, Liz Carroll. You can like the Irish music on many different levels. You can, you can really like the ballads of people like the Clancy Brothers. You can shun the Clancy Brothers and really only want to hear old-style shanos, as they, which is the Irish word for old, uh, old time or old sound, um, singers that are unaccompanied, kind of with their eyes closed sitting in a corner. You can have people that really want to have uh, the Irish washerwoman belted out <laughs> on a fiddle, <laughs> kind of like single bows for the whole thing, and then there will be a whole other gang of people who love Irish music that would say they love Irish music, and yet that wouldn't be the Irish music that they love. It's a small world, but this is a big world, this Irish music. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Today's been a special St. Patrick's Day show, talking about traditional Irish music in America with four remarkable musicians who are also National Heritage Fellows. Liz Carroll, Seamus Connolly, Kevin Doyle, and Billy McComiskey. If you want to hear the full interviews, go to arts.gov and click on podcasts. We'd love it if you subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.